Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, a podcast all about the North American model of conservation and your chance to dive into conversations about trends, research, and outdoor activities. It's time to get wild with the 2021 Conservation Media Award-winning host, Jason Creighton. We had a couple of bird populations, turkey populations in Michigan um, that were hanging on and they were huntable populations, but they weren't really thriving. And it took the Turkey Federation coming in and helping us see that we could, we could bring in pure wild stock from some of the other states that had um, improved their, their population levels, release those into prime habitat trapped some of those birds to help other states and other release areas begin to open up hunting and grow an appreciation for the bird and through those efforts all across the country we were able to restore the wild turkey the national wild turkey federation hello and welcome back everybody to another episode of the conservation unfiltered podcast presented by conserve the wild I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 114, Talking Turkey with National Wild Turkey Federation CEO, Becky Humphreys. Now, first, I want to thank you all for joining again uh, due to some technical issues and then some life things to handle. Uh, I haven't been able to put out an episode for a couple weeks, and I appreciate you joining back with us and just being patient with me. Second is this episode. This week, as you heard, Becky Humphreys is going to be on. She is the CEO of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Now, before that, she was a biologist for the Michigan DCNR and became the director of the NDR and DEQ there in Michigan. Uh, she also worked for Ducks Unlimited before taking the chief conservation officer position for NWTF eight years ago. What are we going to talk about? All kinds of stuff. We're going to be talking about the history of turkeys. We're going to talk about NWTF's role in turkey and habitat restoration, our three initiatives, and projects throughout the country that NWTF is a part of. This is a long history for this organization, and we're going to talk all about the NWTF. So let's get right to it, and let's hear what Becky has to say. Welcome back once again, everyone. And on the line today, Becky Humphreys, CEO of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Becky, thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is great. Uh, I am a uh, longtime hunter. I'm a longtime supporter of the National Wild Turkey Federation. I, I can't say that my membership has not lapsed here and there throughout the years since I turned 12 years old. But uh, my very first hunting trip uh, that I ever took, what well, trip, my first time hunting, uh, was actually a spring turkey hunt here in Pennsylvania uh, where I was not successful, but uh, my dad's friend who was calling for us was successful. And, and I just remember two things about that morning. 
Uh, one being so excited to get out in the woods and actually get to do an activity with my dad that I had been dying to do since I was six or seven years old, uh, which at the time in Pennsylvania, you weren't allowed to hunt until you turned 12. We didn't have a mentorship program back then. Uh, and the other thing I remember is falling asleep and waking up to the sound of a gunshot <laughs> that was my, my dad's friend shooting uh, a nice gobbler that day. So, um, you know, thank you for, for taking the time to talk to me uh, and sort of let everyone else know if they're not aware of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, can you just give us real quick, like, what is the National Wild Turkey Federation and what is your mission? Well, the National Wild Turkey Federation, we're, we're almost 50 years old as an organization, and we were, we were created by Tom Rogers to restore the wild turkey across the landscape of North America. At one time, we really had depleted turkey populations, and they are magnificent birds native to North America, and um, really our largest uh, game bird in terms of non-migratory. And um, he was from Virginia. He really wanted to see this bird um, flourish again across the landscape. And so that's why we were created. We realized as an organization pretty early on that it takes not only wild turkeys, it takes people who care about wild turkeys to make it work. So our mission is twofold. One, the um, the conservation of the wild turkey, and secondly, the preservation of our hunting heritage, because we know it's going to take those future conservationists to make sure we have turkey populations in the future also. Well, I'm glad you bring up people, because if anyone that's listening knows someone who is a turkey hunter, they are avid turkey hunters. Um, they, they are almost turkey crazy. And I feel like anytime I talk to someone who's a member of National Wild Turkey Federation, they are that sort of crazy turkey person, uh, which is only going to be a good thing for both the organization and for the bird and, and the habitats as well. Yeah, it really is. And not only are they a crazy, um, you know, passionate turkey hunter, but they're passionate about conservation. They're passionate about bringing in that next generation of turkey hunter into the fold, you know, making sure that we have great habitats for the birds and for people to get access to get out and hunt, and really making sure that we are pay, paying it forward. That's what the organization is all about. So we have, there are lots of conservation organizations out there, and many great ones. I mean, I've worked my whole career in conservation and worked with great nonprofits, but I have to say, of all the nonprofits, the National Wild Turkey Federation is the one that has truly invested hardworking volunteers at the local, the state, and the national level. And it, it just makes it a joy to get up every day and work alongside these tremendous people. I, I can believe that 100%. Uh, you mentioned that the turkey population wasn't always what it currently is now. Uh, what were some of the things that caused that downfall? And then what were some of the things that National Wild Turkey Federation did to sort of bolster those numbers and, and really get this thriving population of turkeys on our continent again? Well, you know, the, the restoration of the wild turkey population is one of those truly 
successful conservation stories um, of our lifetime. So it's been of my lifetime and of the organization. You know, it was a species that quite frankly was overhunted and, and habitat degradation. You're in Pennsylvania. My folks were both from the state of Pennsylvania. One of our prior CEOs was from the state of Pennsylvania and is always one of our largest membership states. But, you know, as we logged off and cleared a lot of our forest habitat and tried to create agricultural habitat across the US, we really depleted a lot of those populations and we overharvest them early on during settlement. And those remnant populations were, were, were struggling with poor habitat and also just really low numbers. And so when Tom Rogers started the organization, you know, early on, we realized in taking a look at research and working with bird specialists that the early reintroduction efforts that used game farm stock turkeys, um, some of which were bred right in the state of Pennsylvania, wasn't the best gene pool for survival of that species. Those birds that, that are really adaptable and live well in a pen don't live all that well out with predators in the landscape. And so it wasn't until we really got the rocket net and trapping techniques that we could get wild turkeys trapped, those pure wild bird stocks trapped and relocated around the country that we were successful. And it took training. You know, I was a wildlife biologist at the time when we had a couple of bird populations, turkey populations in Michigan. Um, they were hanging on and they were huntable populations, but they weren't really thriving. And it took the Turkey Federation coming in and helping us see that we could, we could bring in pure wild stock from some of the other states that had um, improved their, their population levels, release those into prime habitat, trap some of those birds to help other states and other release areas, begin to open up hunting, and grow an appreciation for the bird. And through those efforts all across the country, we were able to restore the wild turkey, the National Wild Turkey Federation. But we didn't do it ourselves. The agencies are the ones that really had authority to handle the birds. We helped broker the deals, do the training, get the trap boxes to them, do the coordination, and quite frankly, brought the organization volunteers alongside to help on those efforts and raise the money to do it. Yeah, and you know, I mean, really, when we're talking about this, it, it's hard to truly estimate wild populations, right? Especially historically, and even today. I mean, you see turkeys, but to try to count them, you know, state or nat, you know, nationwide, that's going to be very tough. But best estimates is we've taken them from tens of thousands of turkeys at at their low point. You know, now we're in the millions. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so like you said, I mean, this is sort of like uh, one of the greatest success stories we've had in conservation, as you said, in, in our lifetime. And one of the things that I think often gets swept under the rug that you've already brought up is that it wasn't just relocating turkeys. We have to put them in the right spots and then support them through habitat work. Um, and I, I know that National Wild Turkey Federation has played a big part in that. Um, you know, what, what are some of the things that, that the organization helps to do to make sure that these pockets of turkey populations can thrive and then expand? Well, you know, we, we, at a big level, at the national level, we are the 
the oldest and, and biggest partner of the US Forest Service for stewardship contracting. So we are all about helping the Forest Service actively manage the national forest. And also we partner with a lot of the state forest agencies so that we have well-managed productive forest land. Um, we, as we look at habitats, you know, one of the areas that we're losing uh, those early successional forests, those young forests are, are becoming rare, rare on the landscape. And turkeys are a species who, who need that mix of cover types, everything from the, the woods edge and the meadows that provide such nice um, insect life early in the spring to those forests that require roof sites and the rest of it. Um, and so we are, we are always one of the largest produces timber that comes off a national forest through forest, forest stewardship contracting. And um, we work a lot to make sure that we have good habitat out there in terms of healthy forest across the US, nice meadows out there. And, and we do that not only on public lands, but we do it on private lands by providing technical expertise to private landowners using the farm bill. Yeah, and I'm glad that you bring up that private lands component because, you know, I mean, Pennsylvania, I feel like we have a, a, a for an Eastern state, we have a pretty large amount of public land between state forests and, and national forests, but the majority of the state is still made up of private lands. And you're never going to be able to support a species like turkeys if you only manage the habitat on public land. We need that private landowner to also help out with that. And the more that I talk to wildlife biologists like yourself, uh, the more I realize that just planting some trees or seeing trees growing and just saying, we're good, we're just gonna let them go, the less that actually helps wildlife. We need that active management of the landscapes to keep them in, in a sustainable way, uh, to keep them producing more and more wildlife that's good for turkeys and grouse and pheasants and deer and songbirds and insects and, and, and the list goes on. You know, what, what's good for the goose is good for the gander when it comes to all this wildlife. Well, that's right. I mean, as humans, we kind of like steady state. We think of forest as our point in time. Yet forests go through tremendous disruptions and it's that disruption that sets back forest succession allows for wind throw to put, you know, forest debris down on the floor. Um, you know, with that, you have turnover and the forest renews itself. And we have gotten to the point where we, we train squelch all forest fire and we don't allow those, those cooler burns to continue in the forest. And now we do it through prescribed fire uh, so that we don't get these raging forest fires but also timber cutting helps mimic some of the, that, that disruption in the forest. So, you know, many times people are looking at cutting trees as bad when in fact, what it's doing is replacing some of the natural disasters that we used to allow to take place and help the forest renew itself. And it's a good thing, quite frankly, we need to get rid of some of that fuel load that's on the forest floor. Turkeys, when they're you know, in nesting habitats, they don't like a lot of heavy cover right around them. They, they like to be able to see. Um, they feel a little more safe when they have more visibility. 
And so it, it takes opening up some of that understory to really provide some great habitat and, and make the forest more productive for a wealth yeah. of species. You know, you mentioned prescribed fire, and it and it's interesting because Pennsylvania is not a state that uses a lot of prescribed fire compared to states like Georgia. Uh, you know, in the southeast, that use mm -hmm. tend to use it quite often. Um, but I just took a a course, a weekend course, uh, over the summer where we were taught how to do prescribed fire, uh, the safety methods, things of that nature, um, and the benefits from it. And we actually, on the landscape, did a small prescribed fire. Uh, in the morning. And that evening, when we took a, a sort of drive around the property, just sort of looking at some different stuff, it, that prescribed fire was put out maybe six hours prior to us going by it again. And when we did, there were turkeys on that soil that was just freshly burned. Like it was amazing how quickly the turkeys responded to that prescribed fire. Oh, it, and, you know, down in, i in South Carolina, where our headquarters is, there's tremendous prescribed fire going on. And people, you know, it's disheartening to them when they, they walk back into an area that they tended to hunt. There's been prescribed fire right before their hunting season. But it's short-term loss for long-term gain. Birds are, you're absolutely right. Those, those areas don't even cool down before turkeys are moving back into them. And um, the birds respond very, very well to it. So it's just one tool in the toolbox. There's a number of different tools that we use as wildlife managers to create good habitat. Um, but it's, you know, it's one that we need to recognize as humans that forests that are just continuing to allow to age, that don't have disruption, don't necessarily create the diversity or high value that we'd like to have. So what else? has the National Wild Turkey Federation been doing sort of currently with work being done to advance either the, you know, the habitat um, for wild turkey or for hunting heritage? Well, a couple things. Number one, on continuing with the theme of habitat, I'll just finish that one out, is one of the things that we're doing is trying to build bigger and bigger partnerships to have larger scale landscape level work. In the United States, if we're really gonna be successful and managing our landscapes to have clean water, clean air, carbon, carbon that's sequestered in those landscapes, food to eat, energy um, to drive our needs. We've got to make those landscapes really, really productive. And that means that we have to come together and do some restoration efforts and management efforts at a much larger scale than we have really done. Turkey Federation, as the National Wild Turkey Federation, not only do we have these great partnerships with the Forest Service, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, but we have great partnerships with other conservation organizations. So one of the things that we're doing is rolling out some of these larger partnerships so we can come together as a group, pool our funds, pool our work and our efforts to get collaborative agreements in place and really work at that larger scale. And then connecting members and donors to those larger landscapes so they really recognize the need on the landscape. One of the big needs right now in the Eastern United States is doing restoration of the white oak. White oak and red oak both are, are really, really important food sources, not only for wild turkey, 
but for squirrel and deer and you name it, I mean, they are the hard mast that really provides food source for so many species out there, squirrel populations, um, woodpeckers, you name it. And we were losing white oak on the landscape. And as humans, we like white oak, not only because of the species and the, you know, what they give to the forest as far as um, the species composition, but we like what's aged in white oak also, bourbon and wines and you name it. Um, they go into barrel production in this country. So we're pulling the partners together, for instance, to, to look at maintaining and growing and expanding and rehabilitating those, those Eastern forests and the oak component within it, because we know it is incredibly important. We've lost the chestnut on the landscape We've lost a lot of our other mast producers. We cannot lose oaks or we'll be in real trouble. And a lot of our forests in the Eastern United States are starting to age out and going to beech maple complexes, um, which aren't gonna be nearly as productive for our wealth of wildlife species if we allow that to happen. And then, you know, we're, we've just come, you know, as we've been facing COVID and the rest of it, there's been some really nice silver linings in the storm cloud forest. People have had a little more time to get outdoors and recreate. They've had a renewed interest in outdoor recreation, but also about learning to hunt, learning to fish, you know, knowing where their food source comes from. And so we're seeing a nice uptick in the terms of licensed buyers across the country. And the other part of it is we're seeing engagement from parts of the of the population that we typically have not had. I mean, like it or not, hunters have been pr primarily white male in this country and they're becoming older white male as the, the average age of the hunter matures. And that's had us really concerned because we wanna make sure that that next generation is, is becomes um, the future conservationist and they value these species. So we've seen a real nice uptick in the number of women in the outdoors and minorities or underutilized groups out there. And um, with that, there have been a nice uptick in terms of other profit, nonprofit groups that are coming in to support some of those to make people feel comfortable. But that's one of the things we do is we work in what we call the R3 community, recruitment, retention, reactivation of hunters. We do learn to hunt programs. We do, you know, field to fork programs and partner with other groups out there so that we can help mentor that next hunter and get them engaged in the outdoors. If, if, they, if they don't have the know-how on how to do it or they're not comfortable um, or they just have an interest that they haven't learned yet. Yeah, that's, you know, from talking to, people around me, you know, coworkers, friends. Um, but then through this podcast, getting to talk to so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Um, there's one thing that we can't, uh, let me backtrack. There are two things that we can't deny. Exactly like you said, the stereotypical traditional hunter is a middle-aged white male uh, in the United States. And um, as you mentioned, you know, every year that the average age of the hunter goes up because they're aging out. Uh, so that's one thing that we can't deny. The second thing is, is that there are some major barriers to start hunting. 
uh, from the cost to the perceived uh, safety issues uh, or you know dangers of hunting just by nature using a firearm if you're not used to being around them you're going to perceive that as a dangerous situation um, but then also just the uncomfortableness for someone that didn't grow up in a hunting family or in a hunting community there's going to be that barrier you know trying to feel like you're getting over um, feeling comfortable hunting so I love hearing organizations like yours that are getting in on that movement to try to recruit new hunters from non-traditional spaces because um, those are the type you know people from those untraditional spaces are the the kind of people we need to make sure that this hunting heritage this tradition keeps going on and and moving to the future uh, and the real you know some people might ask, why do we need hunters? Why do we need hunting? Uh, you know, if you want your food, you can go to the grocery store. Uh, but I tend to remind all those, the people that I talk to asking that question is that uh, the reason why we have the wildlife we have is because of hunters. Hunters were the, the you know, a hunter is who started National Wild Turkey Federation and uh, helped to grow turkey conservation uh, in the United States, you know, hunters are the reason why we have that because we're the ones that care the most about the wildlife on the landscape. Yeah, I, you know, and there's something about human nature that, um, in my humble opinion, I, I want to be able to provide for myself, my family, to, to not leave it to just go to the grocery store. There's something about human, we're connected to this earth. There's a finer appreciation. Um, you know, with hunting, for a lot of folks who have never hunted before, I don't think they recognize that hunter is, um, it's not like you don't feel remorse in taking a life, but you celebrate the hunt and know that the taking in life of that animal helps sustain life, your life and those of others around you. And the celebration of the harvest is truly that. It's a celebration of life and, and the animal that came with it. And the retelling of the stories around the dinner table, the campfire, and um, it's something very primal. It's something that I think is enriches our lives. And it is something that draws us closer to the outdoors in this world we live in so that we value it and we carry it on. But with that, we've got to learn how to do it safely. And, you know, turkey hunting is one of those sports that, that lends itself very well to being a mentored hunt because you can, you can take a new hunter out. They're not trying to climb over fences with a loaded gun and wings shooting while they're walking and the rest of it. They can sit down you can sit down by them, be close to them, help call, look over their shoulder, um, make sure that they're comfortable, that they know when to take a good shot of that bird when it's in range, and they know what's beyond the target. The Turkey Federation, as we, uh, as we reintroduced um, turkeys on the landscape and grew the sport of turkey hunting during my lifetime, quite frankly, those turkey hunting clinics and what we do for new hunters is, is help teach them not only bird biology and how to call in a bird and what's a safe shot and you know the proper distance and, and how to properly use a decoy to keep that bird focused away from you and hopefully on something away so they don't see your minor little movements and the rest of it. 
but it's also about making sure that you know what's beyond your target because you're sitting there in camouflage right at the level of gunshot and it's it can be a very safe sport it can also be a very dangerous sport if you do not follow proper safety protocol so it's really really important for people to learn how to hunt the right way and be very cognizant of the safety issues with it and it's one thing that we preach all the time with our hunting clinics is making sure that people are learning how to hunt the safe way and can enjoy it for a lifetime. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the safety part because as a hunter education instructor here in Pennsylvania, uh, we actually play a couple videos that were produced by the National Wild Turkey Federation. And that's one of the segments in, in my group of instructors that, that I teach. And, um, you know, the one video is very powerful because it's the sort of the retelling of, uh, of a story of one hunter shooting another from both perspectives of the hunter that got shot, the hunter that, that did the shooting and how they were both affected by that. And the idea of identifying your target and not shooting at movement and basically just hunting safely. Um, and I find it to be very powerful every time I watch it. And I'm glad that, you know, when an organization is, is focusing on hunting and preserving the heritage, you have to realize that in order to preserve the heritage, we have to preserve the hunters as well, right? Like we need to make sure they're safe. Very so true. I am, I am glad to see um, National Wild Turkey Federation continue with that over the years. And I have to agree, you know, turkey hunting for a mentor um, or for the mentee, I mean, that is a great way to introduce someone to hunt. And when you hear that bird gobble, you know, under oh, a, <laughs> and especially under a hundred yards, you know, or 50 yards when you can almost feel it in your chest, there's not much more of a rush than you can get any other way hunting. Um, than here, here in that gobble in the spring, it is amazing. Uh, so you guys, as an organization, you're doing great work. Um, nationally, you're doing great work. The chapters are doing awesome work locally. Um, if someone's listening and they are not a member of National Wild Turkey Federation, how do they join? How do they, if they feel that pull, they're like, hey, I think I want to learn more about this organization. Where can they go and how can they join? NWTF.net. I mean, we are, we are right on the website. Go to our website. You can join. But the, the cool thing about it is um, because we're a federation, we've got chapters in every state except one. And we have um, local chapters then within each state. So if you go to our website, you can pull up NWTF. You can join right there on the spot. We'll send you the magazine. We'll send you a, a new member orientation packet. But not only that, you can find out about events right in your area. And it might be a banquet where you can get together and enjoy a an evening of fundraising to help us support the mission and meet other people in your community or a neighboring community, or it might be a learn to hunt clinic. It might be going out and working on habitat. You know, it's, we have a range of events, everything from our fundraising banquets to these other events that are all fun and camaraderie and you get to meet great people and support an organization that does great work. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about your organization. Some, uh, there are some organizations out there that they just, they want your money, right? That, that is how they do their best work is by 
by getting more money, whether that's through fundraising or member dues. Um, but for the National Wild Turkey Federation, there are other ways that you can give back. Um, you know, obviously things cost money, but at the same time, if all you have is your, you know, your yearly dues that you can afford, but you have some time uh, that you can give back to Habitat Work or volunteering for that local chapter, uh, your organization just welcomes them with open arms. And uh, that is appreciated uh, by the community. I do have to ask, what is that one state that doesn't have a chapter? Alaska. Okay, so my Alaska <laughs> listeners, what you need to do is you need to get in contact with the National Wild Turkey Federation and find out how to start a chapter in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, they have a tough time up in Alaska with with turkeys, but nonetheless, um, it's we even I mean Hawaii has tremendous populations, but we have um, great populations throughout the state, and we've had tremendous growth in the organization in the Western United States. So, and it's nwtf.org. I, I, uh, net is our, our email address system, but nwtf.org, just go to the website, become a member and join us because we'd, we'd love to have you. And for anyone listening, that link will be down in the episode details. So you can just click it right there and it'll take you right to their site. Uh, and you can join me in being a member. Becky, thank you for coming on and, and telling us about your organization and all the wonderful work you're doing. Uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. And come join us at convention. In February, mid-February, we'll be in Nashville and our last convention hit over 57,000 people there. Well, maybe I can convince my wife that that'll be my birthday present this year then. <laughs> Absolutely. Love to have you. All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Before we keep going, a real quick question for you. Are you concerned with urban sprawl? Are you concerned with the threat of our increased human presence as put on wildlife and wild spaces? If so, an easy next step for you to try to help with this situation is to visit our Patreon page and become a monthly supporter. If you like this podcast, if you would like to help form a new nonprofit that helps combat and mitigate the effects of urbanization, visit patreon.com slash conserve the wild. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash conserve the wild. Go visit today and become a sponsor. Once again, that will do it for another episode here on the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. I want to thank Becky for coming on. I want to thank you for listening. You know, the National Wild Turkey Federation is a very old conservation organization. They've been doing work for decades, and it shows. Uh, They have been doing great work, turkey restoration, habitat restoration, moving into R3 initiatives, doing projects continually around the country. They do great work and turkey numbers have shown that. One thing that I do have to mention is that in certain areas, turkey numbers are declining. Uh, There's a whole host of different reasons why predation, habitat issues, um, you know, climate change, things of that nature are all having varied impacts on these flocks of turkeys. So, you know, we need, it, it just shows the 
fact that we need to continually adjust our approach in managing this wild species. So if what that means is if your state agency makes an adjustment to how turkeys are hunted, how many turkeys are taken, they're not doing it for no good reason. Okay? Uh, while you anecdotally may be seeing some great turkey numbers on your property or locally, that's not necessarily indicative of a wildlife management unit uh, or the entire state. So, you know, just I don't want to discourage you from looking for answers and asking the question of why. That is a good thing to do. But at the same time, be okay with hearing what the answer is. And then your next question should be, what can I do about it to help improve turkey habitat, to help improve turkey numbers? Next week, we're going to be having another great episode. This time, we're going to talk about something very, very, and a person very, very specific. So can't wait for next week to see what we have and, and let you guys get to listen to what I have in store for us. Uh, if you haven't yet, check out uh, our page on Facebook, check out Instagram, check out Twitter, uh, Conserve the Wild. Great stuff being posted on there, uh, and it will be continued to be posted on there. Uh, if you like this podcast, as you heard in the ad, visit our Patreon page and uh, give a, a little donation to us and a little bit of an attaboy. Uh, there, there are some administrative costs that we need to uh, address uh, on a monthly, monthly basis. And until next week, as always, you need to, I implore you to get outside, take someone with you, and stay wild. <laughs>